Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Well, hello everyone, Renaissance. It's so great to be with you again. Um, If I could just open this conversation that we're having today with um, a heartfelt um, thank you and express all of my gratitude to the the many of you who have called uh, both me and Stacy and other people here on the staff to check in and see how we're doing. I know many of you have even uh, sent in little cards or letters um, and I just wanted, yesterday as I was reading those things, um, I was just overwhelmed with emotion that you guys um, are really appreciative for all the work that we're putting in, trying to keep church at home um, running and afloat, putting out good content for everyone, good Bible study and worship and children's you know, uh, experiences and activities. And the work that's going into that is um, a lot. And, and that you guys appreciate that. And you're sending letters of um, gratitude and thankfulness to, to us. And it just speaks so much to me. I, I just wanna say thank you so much for all of you that have done that. Um, it means a lot. And um, for the phone calls, thank you for, uh, for that as well. Um, one of the phone calls that I did receive this uh, past week, uh, somebody called and asked if it was okay if they um, ate breakfast while they watched church at home. And it was kind of a tongue in cheek sort of fun thing. And they mentioned that the whole family is sitting there in their pajamas and they're eating bowls of cereal while they're going to church or they're watching the sermon. And they wanted to know if that was okay. And they were joking, of course. Um, But there's this sort of new normal that's uh, fallen into our laps, so to speak, is that is that we can be. Um, in our pajamas, we can be in sweatpants, we can be sitting on a couch, which is why I'm sitting on a couch here watching church. And people are asking, when we come back to church, is it okay if I continue to wear my pajamas? Um, Honestly, the answer is no to that because that's ridiculous. No, I don't care what you wear. I've never said, I never cared what you wear. And I I, I honestly told somebody once if they were sitting in the service with us, if they wanted to eat a bowl of cereal, it wouldn't bother me at all. So whatever is happening. But when I think about all of this this comfortability, um, I was struck by this one thought. Um, I I don't think the life that Jesus has called us to is supposed to be one of comfort. (laughs) Um, and I'm, I'm not saying, you know, don't wear sweatpants. I mean, I wore sweatpants into the office today. Uh, sweatpants are awesome, okay? Praise the Lord for sweatpants and all of that. But I, I'm just saying this, this, this idea that, that following Jesus is, is comfortable is, is just not good biblical understanding of what it means to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus. Um, if you're involved in any type of leadership here at the church, you will have heard me tell this story before, but in, in the last chapter of John's gospel, we see an exchange with the resurrected Jesus and Peter, one of the disciples turned apostles. And we know that Peter denied Jesus three times on the eve that he was arrested. And, and Jesus comes back to Peter after, again, he'd been resurrected. And he asks Peter three different times if he loves him. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And of course, and Peter responds in the affirmative each time. And, and when, when he says, yes, Jesus, you know I love you, Peter um, then hears the words of Jesus say something like this. Well, I want you to feed my sheep then. I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to tend my sheep. And, and, and in saying all of that, he says, if you love me, 
Peter, then I want you to, to do these things for me. And at the end of that, he then tells Peter that it's going to cost him his life. It's going to cost him his life. And he says, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep. If you love me, you'll tend after my sheep. If you love me, you'll serve my people, sort of, you know, that kind of language. And it's going to cost you something. And, 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 and if, before you think that this is maybe like a head fake of Jesus, that somehow he's sort of um, suckered in the disciples to follow him for three and a half years, and now he tells them that it's going to cost them their lives, or now he tells them that it's going to cost them um, great discomfort or challenges or difficulties in life, that's not in fact true. Jesus has actually made that um, clear from the very beginning. And, and from that, I want to springboard into Matthew chapter 5, which is where we'll spend the, the rest of our time together. Matthew chapter 5 um, is the beginning of Jesus' most famous, uh, most famous sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And he opens it up with what we call the Beatitudes. And it's it's more than just this treatise on Christian ethics, which I think that's what it is. I think it's how we are supposed to live. But it also appears to be a criticism of religious dogma or pharisaicalism or however you want to say that, just religious ideology that somehow all you need to do is believe the right things and sort of um, act a certain way. And Jesus in the Beatitudes just dispels all of that, saying things like, um, the real blessed people are those that are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, and et cetera. And you can read all of that. And after he says all of those things, he then, then he says this one um, phrase, and this is what I want to share with you today. He says in verse 13 of chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, then how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the salt of the earth, he says. So I want to pray for us and just uh, ask the Lord to give us some understanding of what this might mean um, and how it might press against our comfortableness, our, our um, ease of Christian living, that oftentimes what, what God might be calling us to do um, as we are salt in the earth is uncomfortable, is challenging. So would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for our time together. I thank you for Jesus, your son, the savior, of the world who has come and he's created a way for us to have relationship with you, that he gave up his life on the cross, that he was buried in the grave and you raised him from the dead. You accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. And so God, we um, have faith in him. And because of that, we have a restored relationship with you, that our lives have been transformed, that we are new creations. And we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be with us. You'd be with me here right now as we film this message and that you would be with all of the listeners and the viewers that watch and listen to this message. God, we ask that you bless our time together and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. So the little backstory or context of what's taking place is Jesus, um, after he... Uh, had been baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. 
Um, he went into the desert to be tempted by Satan, by the devil. And then he, he comes out of that and he begins his earthly ministry. And what he does is he starts gathering disciples. He gets Andrew and, and Peter and James and John and others, and he starts gathering them. And as he's making his way through Galilee, he starts to see a bunch of sick people, a bunch of hurting people, and he starts healing all of them. And then the crowds find out about this, and they just start to gather around Jesus. And so Jesus, at one moment, goes up the side of a mountain with his disciples, and the crowds gathered all around him, and he begins to tell them this sermon. He gets, begins to preach the sermon to them. And in the middle of that, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now think about this. Um, he's specifically talking to his disciples, so he's specifically talking to the people he's chosen to be his followers, but he's also talking to the masses uh, around them. And, and that's an important thing for, for maybe all of us to remember, and even me, I was reminded of this during my study this week, is, is that whenever we're teaching things from the Bible, um, whenever we're trying to bring spiritual information to others, um, not only is that helpful for those people who are already Christians, but it should, it should also be helpful for those people who aren't. Because many of the crowds around Jesus, they weren't followers of his yet. They, they were just clamoring to be around him because he was feeding them and he was healing people. They weren't really devoting their lives to him like the 12 disciples had. And so he says, when he says, you are the salt of the earth, he's specifically talking to the disciples and he specifically would be talking to you and me, I would argue. But before we puff up our head thinking that we're somehow a big deal because Jesus has some special role for us in the earth, may we be reminded that we um, are only Christians, are only disciples of Jesus because he has chosen us to be so. <laughs> right? There's nothing in us that uh, caused God to want to save us. It is by grace that we are saved. God did not somehow look down from heaven and look at the, the talent that Jeff had and says, boy, I gotta make him a Christian or the ability that, that someone else has or someone's good looks or someone's um, influence and says, boy, I'll save them and I'll use, no. He, he's, he loves the world, he loves people and it is Jesus Christ and his works that saves us. And so they, the disciples in Jesus' day were handpicked by him. And so Jesus, and God is picking us to follow him too. And, and he's doing so through his son, Jesus. We just believe in that. But when he says you are the salt of the earth, I want to just talk about a couple of things here. Um, number one is, is that this is a statement that he's making about us. This is not something that he's saying might take place one day. He says, no, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You, it's not, not uh, one day you might be or you will be or when you, um, when you memorize enough verses in the Bible or when you uh, give enough money in your giving at the church or when you uh, evangelize so many people. It's not that. He, he immediately says, when you're a disciple of mine, when you devoted your life to me, when I've become the Savior and Lord in your life, you are the salt of the earth. But what does that mean to us? Oftentimes, we just dismiss salt as just something that we keep in our cabinet, uh, you know, and that we bring out every once in a while when our food needs some type of flavoring. But in Jesus' day, salt meant something altogether different. Salt had uh, wonderful properties, and it was, it was almost um, more 
more costly than even gold at some point. Uh, salt is an, a very important thing for their lives and even for our lives. And Jesus is trying to say that salt is important um, for the earth. And he says, you, my disciples, will be salt in the earth. And he uses this um, element, this thing called salt, as uh, something they would understand and something that they knew to be uh, expensive and necessary in their culture. And he wants to talk about um, the uses for it in the earth. So let's think about some of the things that salt is and we know to be. Uh, salt is a seasoning, as I've already mentioned it. We oftentimes bring it out and we, we sprinkle it on food to bring out its flavor. And our lives, is what Jesus would be saying, should do the same thing. Um, in my studies, studies this week, I ran across uh, a sermon where someone was preaching on this, and they said, they said this, and it, it really hit me. He, he says, you as salt of the earth, you should bring out the best in people. Like salt brings out the best flavor in a steak or um, in other food, that you should bring out the best in people. We should not just be so quick to see all the negative things in everyone and always pointing our finger at them saying, you know, you're terrible this way, you're bad this way, but to, to, to be salt is to actually see the potential that is in someone and that God would want to bring out that if their lives could just be transformed like yours was, like mine was by Jesus, then they too could experience all of the things that we are experiencing. So salt is a seasoning for the earth that, that people should want us around. Um, that's a shocking statement because oftentimes I, I know people who, when they think of a Christian, they just automatically dismiss them as, as a bigot as judgmental, as someone hard to deal with, you know, politically all over the place, whatever. They just have all kinds of issues with Christians. But we, we don't want to be that way. We want to bring a seasoning to the earth. The other thing that we know salt to be is an antiseptic. It, it, it just means this, that it stops decay. You know, before refrigeration, the only way to keep meat from spoiling was to salt it. And, and they would put salt on, on food and it would keep it from decaying. And that's a great picture of what uh, a Christian's life um, as salt should look like in the world around us. Um, think of something in the world that you might uh, think is decaying around us. We could pick an easy one, morality. We could say morality is just decaying you know, all around us. And, and I wouldn't disagree with that. <laughs> I wouldn't disagree with that at all. But we as Christians, we can be salt into our culture where the morality seems to be decaying, and we can change that. But know this, we can't do that from afar. We can't do that from a distance. There, there requires some proximity of the salt to the decay to stop it. And this is significant for us because sometimes we think... Um, if we look into the culture around us and we see all of the, the decaying of morality or whatever, and all we need to do is just buy a poster board, write something on it, and go protest what's happening. And, and that doesn't seem to be the, the heart behind what Jesus is saying. To be salt of the earth is to be, to be in the place, to, to affect change, to, us, to stop decay. Um, I, I brought a, another book with me. I did not intend this Sunday morning to be the uh, Jeff's book club type thing. But as I was considering um, this talk, 
I picked up probably one of the top three most influential books that I've ever read. I read this as a young Christian. It's called The Roaring Lambs, and it's by an author named Bob Briner. And uh, I won't go into all this book. I could preach a whole series on what I've learned from this book. But I, I ran across this quote this week, and I want to read it to you. He says this about the antiseptic quality of salt. He says, we cannot be a moral disinfectant from afar. It does very little good to commiserate with each other about how evil the Hollywood community is or how godless the television community is or how the print media seems to always take the low road or how the government policymakers seem to never consider biblical truths or even how corrupt the music and art scenes seem to be. He says, sitting in the pews, wringing our hands about the decay in the world is not being salt. And he says, neither is decrying the evil without offering positive alternatives. I mentioned that it seems to be the easy thing to just um, get a poster board and begin to protest. Uh, the hard thing is this, is to see the, de the decay of morality in the culture around us um, and to try to go out and tell a different narrative, to tell a different story, the story of a Christian ethic, of a Christian morality. And to do so, it's hard. You, you've got to go out and, and raise money, get a good script maybe if you're going to make a television show or a, a film, a movie. Um, maybe it's, a, it's an album. You've got to write great lyrics or whatever it is. The hard work is to actually produce an alternative story to what's coming from Hollywood or what's coming from the airwaves out of our media today. But the salt of the earth, the people of God, you and me, we're supposed to stop the decay. And we can't do so from a distance. We, we want to be in there affecting change. Uh, another um, aspect of salt is that it, it stings when it finds a wound. Um, this last week I, I was working downstairs doing some construction and I almost um, cut my finger off. I know it sounds crazy, don't send cards, but I was using a four and a half inch angle grinder and it, it cut into my glove. And the next thing you know, I just saw blood pouring out of my glove. And I'm like, uh-oh, this is not a good thing. Um, long story short, it was fine. I put a Band-Aid on it. But imagine my shock two days later when I stuck my hand into a bag of potato chips and pulled a few out and salt had found its way into that wound. And immediately I was reminded that something wasn't right on my finger. And salt has this way of just finding its way into the things of our culture that are wrong, that are broken, that are wounded, so to speak, and need our attention. I think of some great Christians that have gone before us who have looked into the culture of their world and saw that things were were wounded, saw that things were broken, and decided to make, an, to make a change. We look, look into the 18 and 1900s with a, a man named uh, William Wil Wilberforce, if you remember him. Uh, he was in the British Parliament, I believe, uh, as a Christian, and he saw what was taking place in the slave uh, trade in the British Empire. And he used his, his influence as a parliamentarian and his ethics as a Christian and realized that what was taking place was wrong. It was barbaric. And he, he finally got laws passed in, in Britain to stop the slave trade. 
we look at people like Martin Luther King Jr. in the 60s who, who spoke about social justice issues. Um, a believer who realized what was taking place to, to some people based on the color of their skin was in fact wrong. And the salt that Jesus called him to be exposed that wound, exposed that brokenness in the culture. And it came at a great cost for both of these men. And there are many other people who have had similar stories. Maybe you and I um, have had similar stories. But to be salt means that oftentimes we have to expose things when they're broken and when they're wrong. The last thing I'll mention about salt is that it causes thirst. It, it just, you know, the more you have it, the, the more thirsty you become. You eat more of those chips and the more, you know, water you want to drink. And, and I wonder if, if our lives, if Jesus is calling us to be the salt of the earth, are, are we causing other people, the people that are around us, the people we work with, the people we live with or whatever, are we causing them to be thirsty? And by thirsty, I mean this, thirsty for the things of God. Are they thirsty for the things of Jesus? Are they thirsty for the things that motivate you and me? Do they have the same life view, the, life, the same picture of what the world's supposed to look like? Are they thirsty for the same things that we are? And our life should affect that sort of change in people. Do our lives cause others to want the things that we have, specifically when it comes to Jesus? Now, all of these properties, right, whether it's a seasoning, an antiseptic, um, if it you know, finds the wounds in the culture around us or causes thirst, of all of those, we actually don't know which one Jesus was specifically pointing to. He just says, you are salt. So I think the argument could be made, he wants us to be some of them. He wants us to be all of them at different times. Who knows? But we should have this effect on the people around us. Simply put, Jesus is saying, your life should make an impact in the earth. And it's not always going to be comfortable for us. He, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, um, in this current you know, quarantine, shelter in place, you know, pandemic situation that we find ourselves, the earth that we are considering, it seems very small. We've become quite myopic in our understanding of what the world is around us. We've been holed up in our, ho in our homes for the last you know, four or five weeks. And so when we think about the world, we're not thinking very big any longer. We're thinking small. And so we immediately think this, well, one day soon when, when we're allowed to leave our homes and go back to movie theaters, et cetera, then I can be salt. Then I'll actually uh, let Jesus use me in, in that regard. But I want to remind us that um, Jesus by no means is pulling this um, idea that we're supposed to be salt away from us just because we're uh, quarantined. I want you to think about your family members right now. I want you to think about your roommates. I mean, these people, unfortunately, have become um, our whole world right now. They've become our, our spiritual advisors, our counselors, our sous, our sous chefs, right? They're, they're our housekeepers. They're, they, they're, they're, all, they're all the people that we interact with normally out in the world. They're, they're the only people we see now. And, and let me ask you this. Are you being salt to them? Are you, are you making them thirsty for the things of God, for the things that you have, for the, 
Are, are you, are you, are you um, adding uh, seasoning to the family dynamic? Are you seeing the best in others and pulling that out of them? Are you, are you, are you lovingly criticizing some wrong things that you see because now you have the time to, to see what they think about things, that you're spending more time with them? Don't, don't fall into the, the trap or, or the misunderstanding that once the world open back, backs up, the world opens back up, that then we can continue doing what Jesus has called us to do. I'm here to say he's never stopped asking us to be this. This was a challenging statement for me to consider with my own children. Do my children want the things that I want? Have I been the salt of the earth to them? Have I pulled the best out of my wife? Have I pulled the best out of my children? Even though my world is smaller now, it doesn't negate the fact that I'm still called to be the salt in that world, the salt in that earth. He says this, if salt has lost its taste, right? You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Well, strangely enough, it can't. <laughs> salt can't actually lose its taste. And let's Give Jesus a pass here. He knows this. He created everything. He created salt. He knows that. What he's saying is something else. Uh, what's happening is salt is actually being contaminated with something. He's saying if, if salt becomes contaminated, it's not salty anymore. It no longer has the salt effect. It's no longer working. And when, when salt has been contaminated or polluted, it no longer affects the, the change that God wants to affect through it. And the same could be true about our lives. If our lives become contaminated or polluted, then our lives no longer have the effect on the world around us. And so we want to be careful what, what we allow into our lives. We want to be careful, you know, the things um, that we allow our, our salty lives to be um, polluted by or influenced by. And, and I, I'm not saying these things um, by any means of, uh, religious dogma, or there's some things that you can do and some things that you can't do. Uh, the Bible's real clear on some issues of life, things that are right and things that are wrong. But the myriad of things that you and I experience in our lives um, aren't specifically spelled out in Scripture. And so what I would challenge us to understand is that the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us by Jesus, He's going to have to be our guide for a lot of these things. There's going to be moments when you're looking at something, when you're thinking about something, and the Holy Spirit will come alongside and just sort of quietly whisper to your heart or speak it to your mind in a way that only God can, that this isn't the right thing for you right now. That this isn't the best thing for you right now. That yes, I know um, you have the liberty to work from home. And yes, I know that offers all kinds of freedoms to do other things. But there will be times when the Holy Spirit will speak to you about how you're using your freedoms and your extra time. And he'll say, that's not what I want for you right now. And so we have to allow ourselves to not become contaminated or polluted and allow the work of God's Spirit to, to work in us. We call this work, this process, sanctification. It's just a, a churchy way of saying that God is, is changing us. He's, he's renewing us and making us new. And he's doing so so that our lives can be salt in the earth. And he says, if you're, 
if you're salt and you're no longer salty, he says, you're no longer good for anything. This salt is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Hear that. When he says salt that's lost its saltiness is no longer good for anything. And if he says you are the salt of the earth, what he's saying is if you are no longer affecting change, if you're no longer um, changing the culture around you, uh, um, doing all the things that, that salt can do, right, then you're good for nothing, right, except to be trampled out under people's feet, now, now, before we get upset and say, well, gosh, Jesus, this seems to be like an impossible task for us, um, we're misunderstanding what he's actually saying. Um, I have a quote here from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who said this uh, as he was reading the Sermon on the Mount. He saw that many of the things that Jesus was discussing were, were very tough. In fact, he thought many of them impossible. And then he realized this. He says, if you regard any particular injunction in this whole sermon as impossible, he says, your interpretation and your understanding of it must be wrong. We don't understand really what God is asking us to do. Um, and we can't do what he's asking us to do without the Holy Spirit with us. Hear me when I say this. God is not asking for some um, Mount Everest size amount of discipline in your life. <laughs> He's not asking you to just, just muscle through and do all of these things so that you can be good salt in the earth. He's not saying that. He's saying the Holy Spirit can come along and he can see things in your life and he can help remove those impurities, those things that are contaminating your life so that when you go back into the world, so that when you have an experience with other people, then you truly can affect change like salt. I wanna close with this final thought. There is no salt substitute for the earth. There isn't anything else that God intends to be the change agent that he wants for the world. It is us. It is you. It is me. It is all the Christians around the world. If you and I are looking at this world and we're, we're thinking that it's just falling apart, that there's so much um, immorality, there's so many problems, nobody considers God anymore, I'm telling you there's there's no effectual change for that except for, for you and I to go out and be salt in the earth. We can't defer to government institutions or corporations to, to do this work on our behalf. And it's not to say you, there aren't Christians in those organizations or in those government positions. It's not to say that. But that's not the role of the government. It's not the role of corporations. It's not the role of any institution. It is the responsibility and the role of you and I and it's not always going to be comfortable for us. It's not always going to be easy for us. And just like Jesus is talking to Peter, if you love me, you'll do this, and it's going to cost you. And that's really the mantra of our lives. So I look forward to meeting together again in person. I look forward to coming and gathering and worshiping together. But it doesn't mean while we wait that somehow our lives are on pause. 
that our Christian lives have ceased to exist because we're not in the world. I'm telling you, we're still in the world and God is still doing things in us and through us. And when the doors will be opened and businesses um, reopen and we're allowed to go back out, we'll be able to say that we used this time, this, this time of, of shelter in place, this time of uh, reflection to consider the things in our life that God would want to remove, that God would want to change so that when we go back out into the world that we can actually affect the change that he wants. Anyways, uh, I love you guys. I really miss you all. Please uh, reach out to me, call me, tell me um, how much you miss me. My ego could really use it. I appreciate that. Um, I just can't get enough of the phone calls and the cards and I hope you feel encouraged too. Um, if you're listening to this message and if you have um, a need or want prayer, we would love for you to reach out to us by just sending an email to prayer at rendecator.org and one of us will try to get back to you soon. I love you and God bless. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing Him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.